of ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is Monday, October 16th. It is another game week as the Pirates get set to host the Charlotte 49ers. It'll be homecoming. It'll be two teams in desperate need of a victory. We'll be joined shortly by Kevin Monroe, football color analyst on the Pirate Sports Network. You can hear him every Saturday for the home games, 94.3 The Game, 107.9 WNCT as well and we'll get his take on how the season has started to this point we will also later in the program talk to Kaysen Romaley he's a Hoist the Colors basketball analyst on our website does a great job covering the team diving into the opponents all that sort of stuff we'll talk to Kaysen for the second time this preseason we were both inside Minji's Coliseum for the scrimmage this past weekend prior to the SMU game, saw a lot of good things, saw some things that need tightening up, so we'll get that uh, report from Kaysen and myself. Also got a couple of thoughts on the baseball scrimmage versus Clemson. Over the weekend, I was out there on Sunday, saw some of that, so I'll run through some of that on the show in the next hour. All right, we are joined now by Kevin Monroe on the phone line. Kevin, first off, welcome into the program. How are things going with you? Things are going well, I go Good to have uh, – thank you for having me, and uh, excited to be on the show. Absolutely. Well, Pirates have a chance to, to get back in the wind column this Saturday. We'll talk a little bit about the Charlotte game, how important it is. But let's talk about the season to this point. Uh, Kevin, you've seen a lot of these games firsthand. Not to start, ECU fans, uh, former players like yourself, won't one in five. How would you best sum up, if you can, uh, the first six games of this season from your perspective? Well, it's been disappointing, obviously. Um, you know, no Pirate fan thought that we'd be one in five through six games. Um, it, my honest opinion is if Holden Aylers had miraculously had a, a seventh year, how many ever years he had, if he could have come back this year, I think the, the Pirates would be at worst three and three. Um, I, I don't think the team is as bad as people think it is. I think it starts with the quarterback position. And that's not a knock on Alex or, or Mason. It's just neither one of them is where Holton was when he left. And, and so experience-wise, decision-making ability, uh, the ability to make all the throws, uh, confidence, uh, they don't possess those things right now in their careers. And listen, we, we all had things to say about Holton when he was here too. So I'm not painting him up to be this, you know, the great quarterback savior. I'm just saying all things being equal – I think the pass would probably be three and three. So I think it's getting the offense going, completing some passes downfield, then opens up the running game, makes it easier for Rajay Harris and some of the other guys to, to run the football. It makes the offensive line more confident that they don't have to hold the hold block so long. Um, all these things would be better off with a more experienced quarterback um, making the plays. Now there's there's issues across the board. There's issues on the offensive line. There's too many drops from the wide receivers. Uh, there's been some misalignments, misassignments in the secondary where, you know, passes, passes have been getting caught. Uh, so there's things, there's things happening, uh, that need, need fixing, but I think it starts with the quarterback position. Visit with Kevin Monroe, ECU football analyst on the Pirate Sports Network on game days, calling the games besides 
Jim Zoki this season. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Kevin. How uh, different has that been? Obviously, you know, we miss Jeff Charles tremendously. Uh, how have you enjoyed getting to work with Jim? Seems like an awesome guy and, uh, you know, learning so- somebody new in the booth. It's a very different experience. I, I enjoy working with Jim. He is not Jeff. He's, he doesn't have the same personality. He didn't call the games the same way. Uh, so it's a whole new experience. I mean, you, you can, if, if you were sitting anywhere near the booth, when Jeff started talking, you heard him, right? He had this exuberance about him. He got excited about things. He just was a loud talker in general. That's not Jim. Jim is mild mannered. He, uh, he's almost quiet to a point and he, he's calm and, you know, he's really, really good. He's just different from Jeff. And so getting to be in the booth with him for the few games that I've done so far, uh, just kind of learning how he acts, learning the things that he does has been a different experience for me. And he wants me to talk more. You know, I know the program better. I've been around it longer. I know the coaches. I know the players uh, where he's still learning all these things. So he, he said, you know, when it's time to fill air, you help fill the air. You know, you don't, you don't have to. Uh, expect me to do all the talking, whereas Jeff did the majority of the talking when it came to all that kind of stuff, and I just gave feedback on what I saw on the field. So it's just a, it's a different way of calling a game for me, but it's been pretty good so far. Visit with Kevin Monroe, and we mentioned the one and five start, Kevin, the quarterback issues, and look, the offense. I think it's now they're averaging eleven point four offensive points per game against FBS competition. If you take away the defensive touchdowns, add up, and we talked about the the quarterback position, the issues there thus far. You know, some fans say, "Hey, it's year five. Uh, maybe this, this, they shouldn't be in this position." But kind of, what's your, your take on that? Is it a valid uh, expression of you know, kind of frustration with the offensive uh, whereabouts, or is it just when you have a quarterback transition like ECU has, you're going to have some natural fall off? Well, I, I would say um, two things. One, when you have a guy like Holt Nailers that's been here for so long, it's hard to recruit another quarterback. Two, you have a backup in Mason Garcia that was a three-star, some say a four-star uh, quarterback waiting in the wings. That makes it even harder to recruit any more quarterbacks. And so uh, I think had Mason Garcia panned out the way they thought he would, not to say that he won't later this year, next year, what have you, but so far he's not been the quarterback that they thought they were getting after Holton Aylor. So uh, that has put the program in a bit of a tailspin, I think, I, because – you, you then have to go to your next guy in line who is a serviceable player but is not the guy to go out and win you games. He's the guy to go out and try to keep you in games, hopefully not lose you games. And so um, should the Pirates be in a better situation you know, under Coach Houston at this point in his tenure? Sure. But it's hard to blame him for recruiting a guy or, or, or being ready to play a guy like Mason Garcia because you know he should be – the guy, he's got all the tools. He's got the big, strong arm. He's got the legs. He's got the size. He's got all the tools where he could be a big-time FBS quarterback. They just haven't materialized in games yet. And so I think that has set the Pirates back some. Now, now that you know that, now that you know that maybe he isn't the future, that maybe he can't get it done. And, again, I'm still leaving out hope that he can. He looked better this past week against SMU. Um, you can you can recruit based on that. You you can you can get Jeter ready. You can get the next guy that you recruit ready, and you won't have you won't have to waste any more years on getting your current guys ready to go. We've seen some young talent emerge offensively. Uh, you know, obviously Chase Sowell has done a great job the last few games. Really, first off, catching the ball, but making plays after the catch. You know, unfortunately, Javius Bond went down the open kickoff. We'll try and get an update from him later this week. Uh, from Coach Houston on him later this week and his status. But, you know, you, you do have some skilled players that are showing some talent. So uh, outside of the quarterback position, are there signs of life there that you're seeing, Kevin? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think it, you know, Sowell is one that you mentioned that's that's you know come on strong. I think Jari Patterson is going to be a pretty good player. Uh, just by Hatfield, you know, he's a senior, but he's 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 playing you know better than he's played in the past in terms of at the receiver position. In the past, we've been used to him being more of a return guy, more of a jet sweep kind of guy, more of a, just a speed guy. But he's he's now getting open and having his opportunity to catch the football. I still think Jalen Johnson could be and should be your receiver number one. He just hasn't played up to that level. Yet we know what he can do. We've seen what he's done in the past. We've seen it in, in in spurts this season. But for me, he's dropped too many passes so far this year. So that's been uh, kind of his Achilles heel. Uh, Javius Bond um, at, at the running back position and catching the ball out of the backfield has been great. Camaro Edmonds, uh, transfer from Carolina, has looked really, really good. You know, Marlon Gunn uh, hasn't been as good this season as he's been in the past. But, you know, he's been banged up a little bit and he looks better. Uh, against SMU, so I fully expect him to be playing well. Also, you know, Brock Spaulding has been in play quite a bit. He's, you know, he kind of gives you some flashbacks to some of the receivers in the past that we've had, you know, kind of little scat guys that run around and catch passes and tough and block and, and do things like that. So, yeah, I've seen some guys on the offensive side of the ball, specifically in the skill position, that, that you know, that lean towards us being able to be successful when the quarterbacks get them the football, they make the catches, you know, when they're handing the ball, we're making the blocks, they make the runs. I think we could be successful with what we have. Um, it's just going to take that quarterback position being more consistent to get all those things moving in motion. And defensively, Kevin, ECU has played winning football for the most part this year. They have given up some big plays, which part of that is college football these days. But 31st in total defense through six games, that's a pretty solid number. What have you made of that side of the ball right now? I'm 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 happy with that side of the ball. You know, I think you know if you look back to the App State game, uh, you know they gave up a big run late to that really good running back. Same thing in the Marshall game, they gave up a big run late. But outside of those two huge runs, they shut down those two big time running backs uh, with no issue. So they're, uh, the front seven has played really really well. The linebackers that were, that were brand new, the D line that were all filling in, I felt like they've all kind of stepped up and played pretty well. Uh, even in the Michigan game. You know, that quarterback was so good on the run. I feel like we flushed him out of the pocket several times. But he was so good on the run, he still made plays downfield. But the run game, we kept that in contain. So I think, you know, the front seven specifically has played really, really well. I think the secondary has played good at times. And you, know, if you saw, you know, what Sean, uh, Ravel did this past week. He looked great, you know, just, you know, pass breakup at the pass breakup. So you can tell he's getting more confident. Uh, Jackson, the same thing, you know, being a young guy playing, he's playing well. Um, I think they are getting better. They had some missed assignments early on in the season, gave up, you know, the double pass, I think in the Marshall game and, you know, some, some, some plays here and there that, you know, you'd like to have back. Uh, but I'll take a, I'll take a missed assignment over guys just getting beat one on one. You know, I line up my best guy, you line up your best guy and let's go at it. I'll take the missed assignment over that. So I know that I got guys that can get it done when they're lined up correctly. So defense side of the ball, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with. I think if the offense could catch up, this would be a winning football team. Kevin, you're a former cornerback at East Carolina. What do you make of the 17-year-old Antoine Jackson out there, probably the youngest guy on the team? He's you know, made some mistakes, has also had some highlights. How do you think he's handled himself thus far at corner? Yeah, I mean, at 17, I was still in high school. And, and even at 18, when I was a true freshman at East Carolina, I wasn't ready to play big-time college football. And so uh, I'm amazed by him, you know, his confidence, his swagger, his ability to, to be in the right spots and make plays, get his hands on footballs, and he had to pick six uh, in the app game. So I'm impressed by him immensely. I think he's got nothing but upside. Uh, I think he'll be a, a, a good player here for years to come. He tackles. 
uh, as well, which is something you don't always get with corners. And so, yeah, it's impressive. You know, it took a retro year for me to feel comfortable getting out there and, and playing against the big boys, but he's, he's been forced into that early. And so far, it seems like he's able to handle it. And Siobhan, on the other other side, Siobhan uh, Rebel, it's like, you know, they brought him as a junior college kid last year, Kevin. I think they, they liked him, but they kind of wanted to develop him, like you said, get him ready mentally, physically. He seems to have made that leap. He's one of the bigger corners I've seen here in some time. So, you know, do you think if he continues progressing, he can be a guy that, you know, maybe one day is an all-conference caliber corner? Yeah, no doubt. I, I think he could be that guy. I mean, he's he's got that length. He's got the speed. Um, he's not afraid to put his hands on, on receivers. And so, you know, he cuts down on, on the separation because of that, using his hands and using his feet and, and getting downfield. He doesn't panic, at least thus far. He hasn't panicked when the ball's in the air. I just so many so many things that, that you so many times you see corners panic when the ball's in the air and they'll grab a receiver, they'll shove the receiver, they do something to get that PI or that defensive holding call that they don't have to do. They're in good good uh, position. All they have to do is go up and make a play on the ball. And we saw on Saturday he did that time after time after time. So, you know, that's a that's a, a skill you can't teach, just to, to be calm, be patient and not make your move until the ball is there. Uh, he seems to have you know, mastered that, at least so far. So I'm impressed with him. I think the, you know, I spoke to the, the SMU um, color analyst after the game, and he was like, you know, man, Ravel played out of his mind, didn't he? And I was like, yeah, he's, he's coming along. So I, I think people are noticing, and uh, he's getting that confidence that you need to play that position. We're visiting with Kevin Monroe. Kevin, uh, Charlotte comes to town this weekend, homecoming game. Two teams that have struggled, look. Offensively, they rank near the bottom of the country in points and yards, and so it, it projects to be a lower-scoring game. And, and really, I, I don't know if anything's a must-win at this point. ECU's 1-5. They're realistically probably not going to a bowl game, but it, it feels like a game ECU does not definitely want to lose. I mean, this is a game at home you should win. So what do you make of this game? How important is it for ECU to get some momentum? Yeah, I mean, you know, home attendance has kind of been creeping down and down and down. And so you, this is one of those games where, you know, the crowd probably shows up because it's a Saturday in Greenville. It's midday. It's not one that's hard to get to. Um, and it's, they're playing a team that we should win. And so if you want to get to potentially your last home win of the year, hopefully not, but if you want to get to a game that you feel like you can win, then this is a game to come to. And so I think there'll, there'll be good attendance, you know, I, Coach Biff is, is, is struggling right now. I saw his last, last press conference. He doesn't know what's going on with that team. I, I would say that I think East Carolina's defense is probably a little bit better than Charles' defense. So, so considering that both offenses are struggling, that would lean towards East Carolina being the more successful team on Saturday. Uh, I, I haven't seen a whole lot from Charlotte just yet, but just knowing who they've played and, and how, what the outcomes have been, I would I would think this would be in, in East Carolina's advantage. And um, this is certainly a must win. Um, you know, not so much just to, to try to get Bo eligible, but just for, to win back the confidence of your players. You know, losing is, is something that's contagious. And, and if you, if you lose specifically to teams that you should beat or teams that you consider to be quote unquote a bad team, um, that's just going to really tear, you know, a hole in your program. And, and, and that's when you start to see people, you know, uh, the offense go, you know, against the defense and, you know, fraction team and people talking about leaving and things like that. The coaches can keep a, a handle on that when they when they're able to win football games, and so this would be one of those games they need to win at home. Lastly, for you, Kevin Monroe, when you look at college football right now, NIL and obviously conference realignment, all that stuff, transfer portal is just it changes daily. It's it's changed a lot since you played, obviously. And you know, what, what's kind of your take as a former player and analyst on where ECU stands right now? I mean, I I, I see it every day, and I try to stress it the need to 
invest in NIO for Pirate Nation to retain talent, to continue to have the talent it takes to compete for championships, which is, I think, what people want this program to be. Like, when you look at that side of things, you know, do you feel like people are, are maybe starting to get an understanding of it? And maybe some of the struggles this year leads to, you know, more people uh, realizing kind of what is needed to keep BCU competitive on a national and, and regional landscape. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the, on the head right there. It, it, when you when you see the one and five start, you start to realize, huh, we could use some better players. And how do you get those better players? Unfortunately, it's anteing up. I mean, you you wouldn't think that. You know, it just sounds kind of crazy. But when you, when you have the guys from the Power Five schools, you know, the guys that go to the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Clemsons and the Auburns and all these places, and it doesn't pan out for them, and they hit the portal, where are they going? They're either going closer to home, or they're going to the highest bidder. And so I'm not saying we're going to get to a bidding war with people and, and win, but at least we could get a situation where we could get some good guys that we can afford to give a little bit of NIL money to that are willing to come here and play and make the program better instantly. I can tell you two things that are definitely going to happen at the end of the season. We're going to have some guys leave the transfer portal. The guys that either aren't playing, aren't happy with our, our win percentage. You know, maybe maybe uh, the coaches told them things that they they um, they thought were going to be different than what they are. Whatever the reason is, several guys are going to leave. And then several guys are going to come in. And so how do we get those guys? What caliber of players are they going to be? You know, where do they come from? That's all going to depend on what we have to offer here as a program. And if it's NIL money, facilities, you know, playing on TV, what have you, um, we have to, to put our best foot forward. And that's going to start with NIL. And so, I, you know, it, it obviously wasn't around when I played. I don't know what that would have been like to experience that. But I, it's here now. Um, I was I was able to go and speak to the Oklahoma uh, football team as a part of my, my normal job, just talking to them about financial literacy and things like that. And of the 85 guys on scholarship at Oklahoma, they all get, they all make a minimum of $26,000 a year through their NIL collective. That's a minimum. The top, the top, you know, 10% of guys make, you know, 500,000 and above. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, um, guys in between the 26,000 and the, and the 500,000 guys are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's just insane. And that's just that program. Now, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma are just different deals because they have the oil money out there and, and that kind of thing. But it's, it's heading in that direction where the highest bidder wins. And so East Carolina's got to at least be in that conversation. Great thoughts, Kevin Moreau. Kevin, we appreciate the time on today's program. We'll have you back on before the end of the season. But thanks for the insight, as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. He's Kevin Monroe. Check him out on the ECU broadcast, 94.3 The Game, this Saturday. Also, 107.9 WNCT. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We'll talk some pirate basketball. Hoist the Colors basketball analyst, Kaysen Romaley, is in the house. We were inside Minji's Coliseum this past week. We'll talk about what we saw at the scrimmage, the open scrimmage for Mike Schwartz's second-year team. We'll discuss that on the other side and more. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. One ninety four three, the game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Monday, October sixteenth. We are three weeks away from East Carolina basketball tipping off. The men will open at home against Ferrum College, and the ladies will open at Elon that same Monday. But uh, we got Kaysen Romaley, who is our Hoist the Colors analyst, senior at East Carolina University. He's back for his second appearance on the Hoist the Colors radio show. He's our frequent podcast guest as well. 
Uh, Kason, have you have you started any homework on Ferrum College yet? I have not started my homework on Ferrum College, and I don't think I will ever start on Ferrum College, but we'll see. Hopefully the Pirates can get that one done. By the way, John Moody on YouTube, uh, on Facebook, I should say, he's got uh, our game announcement for ECU-UTSA. That game will be kicking off in a few weeks. I believe October 28th is the date for that in San Antonio. That will be a 3.30 Eastern kickoff on ESPN+, Plus, so a midday afternoon road game for the Pirates as they take on the Roadrunners on the road. So that coming out just recently. Thanks, John, for the message there. So good stuff uh, as the Pirates head to San Antonio after hosting Charlotte. We'll get more into football a little bit later. So Kaysen and I were inside Minji's Coliseum for the scrimmage on Thursday prior to the SMU football game. And uh, we saw some good things, saw some things that, you know, the Pirates still got to clean up heading into Mike Schwartz's second year, pretty typical scrimmage. But uh, what were kind of your overall thoughts on what we saw? Well, first of all, I thought it was good to be back in there. It was good to see the new LED lights and the new seating behind the bench. And um, But I just think that it was it was sloppy, but that's what comes with it at this point of the year. And I think what stood out to me was, honestly, I think that Caleb LeCount looks much, much better than he has. He looked like he gained some weight, gained some muscle. He looks stronger. And also, I mean, I'm, I've been on the Cam, Ways, Cam Hayes train. You know that. And I think he looked great. He scored at will when he wanted to. And I think he was a real bright spot. And look, I mean, when he was out there, they played well. And... I hope we get to this season, but I don't know if we will. Yeah, we got we so we got media day coming up Thursday. We'll ask Coach Schwartz if there's an update on Cam Hayes' waiver status. I, I still I lean towards him not being eligible until he's ruled eligible. I think the coaching staff is, is is looking that way too. But so when I was at the scrimmage, he was taking a lot of shots, not hitting a lot. You said he kind of got hot towards the end. So is he kind of a streaky streaky shooter? Yes, when yes when Cam Hayes is on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. And also, just like I told you, when we were sitting there. Um, there weren't many drives to the basket, but when Cam was on the floor, he was the only guard that was driving the basket. And, he, and when, even when he was driving, he was kicking out. And that is when players like DeBunjay was hitting shots. He was hitting great shots, which was much needed because this team lacks three-point shooting. And right. if this team can learn to score, because this team's not going to outscore teams. That's just all there's to it. Yeah. But I think that if they can learn and knock down the three ball, this team can take a big step forward. They just got to hit those two or three key shots that last year they missed yeah. in those key moments when it's a, it's a three- to four-point game in crunch time. Um, you know, can they make that corner three? DeBunje, you know, he made, what, three or four three-pointers and looks good. We know he has the, the stroke to do it, and I thought he looked like one of the more most improved players. I did think Caleb LeCount looked good as well. Um, but, man, we talked about it this offseason on the, the our basically our player preview podcast, Clinton – He's he's got as much upside as as anybody. Look at him, man. He just he's built like a tank. He can jump. I think it's a lot of it is mental, and I think if he's confident, he can really take a step forward. So he he's a big key this year. Yeah, and we've been harping on it for the past year. I mean, the three spots open for anybody. It's for Corey, it's for Quentin, it's for Ben. And if one of them can take advantage of that, and I think Quentin should, because if you just if you just look at Quentin, you're like, holy cow. He yeah. he's he's a phenomenal athlete, jump out of the gym, but it's just can he put it all together? And just and just like last year, there were some points also kind of pivoting here. It's like especially with Jaden Walker and Quentin, there are some times where they'll get it on the wing, and and the defenders running up to him to close out, and they kind of hesitate, and it gives the defender time to set set his feet and, and let him decide what he wants to do. And that happened multiple times, especially especially with Jaden Walker. Even though yes, he's playing point guard distributing, but 
I think if Jaden Walker and Quentin become threats on the wing and score first, have a scoring first mentality, they can both take a huge leap forward. Okay, uh, Chase, so you mentioned that okay. – uh, oh, sorry. I, got, no. I was going to say, Casey, you mentioned that this team's not going to outscore a lot of teams. Did you feel like the defense was on par from what they were last year at the scrimmage on Saturday? Yes, I feel like the defense, yes, was better. Um, but uh, I don't really know, though, for sure, because there weren't many drives to the basket, so I don't really know what's going to happen when we face teams that are very aggressive on dribble drives. But – I definitely think that the perimeter defense, there there were a whole lot of tips in this game, which I know Mark Adams puts a lot of emphasis on. And I would say it's improved, but I still want to see us play a team where it's a lot of dribble drive and kick out and see how we close out. And I think some of that was by design because they, they know, too, the, there, there wasn't a whole lot of plays being ran because, heck, I'm there taking video of it and posted five minutes on YouTube. So like, they're not going to run a bunch of specific plays. Um but I thought it was interesting. We did notice pre pre game, Mark Adams led a defensive drill. Yes, he. Uh, so that was he, fun. They went through a ten minute segment of show where it's where it's four people on the perimeter and four defenders, and they touch and they go follow the ball. And Mark Adams led that. And also on that, walking in, seeing him in ECU, I kind of like sat back and was like, "This is 2023. What in the world are we doing?" <laughs> it is pretty awesome, though. I mean. The, and Riley Davis, uh, great assistant coach as well. So it's a great coaching staff, man. It really is. And um, I'm just very excited for the season. Uh, Chase Graham on on YouTube says, yes, sir, free Cam Hayes. Is, yes. Uh, is he a big Cam Hayes guy? Yes, he's a big Cam Hayes guy. Um, he is Cam Hayes' best friend slash old roommate. So There you go. I agree. Free free Cam Hayes. And, and also Chase Graham, he has another year of eligibility left. So if he wants to come here at ECU, he can use it right now. There you go. Chase Graham, come on down. Uh, I thought one of the other guys that I didn't know what to expect as far as the scrimmage. Uh, I don't even know how to say his name. Logan. I don't. Or, I, don't or I don't want to say his last name, but he was. He looked smooth out there. Freshman from France who just appeared on the roster one day. I don't even know how much English he speaks, but we mentioned if if, if Hayes is ineligible, you know Bobby Pettiford. We should say did not uh, practice because he's got a hamstring issue. If he's banged up and that continues. You're going to have LeCount. You're going to have Walker who can run the point. And this Logan kid, he, he needs to add some weight. But as a freshman, I thought he looked comfortable running the point. Is he on scholarship? I don't think so because they got 13 scholarship guys okay. you know, accounted for. So there's got to be some sort of uh, you know, walk-on or financial aid status there. Because he was the first sub. He, yeah. Logan was the first sub. And he was on purple, if I'm not mistaken. Was he in for Jaden? For that yeah, he point. was the second one. Yeah. He was the first person off the bench, the second point guard yes. for Purple. So Purple, as we, even though we got in on the side about how the teams, but towards the end they like switched up the teams a bunch. Mm-hmm. So, But the Purple team to start off were the starters, and Jaden was the point guard. And as soon as Jaden got off, Logan came in. Yes, there were a couple of hiccups, and Ezra and Brandon got frustrated a little bit. I could see, I could see, but he had a, but he had a couple passes that were like, wow, like, yeah. at a freshman level. He saw that. I was like, "Wow, he's very, he's very smooth. He's not, he's not very big. He's not too tall." But I definitely think that if Cam Hayes can't play and something's wrong with Bobby, that he could, he could come in and play some maintain. Minutes. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to ask Coach Schwartz Thursday. We'll talk to Coach Schwartz on media day for the press conference. We will also talk to uh, some players. I'm just going to ask Coach Schwartz, like, where, where did this guy come from, man? Because like. Uh, Third player from France on the roster, joining Ben Baella 
and Quentin DeBunje. You know, we know Coach Schwartz has some ties over there. So uh, <laughs> we also got a comment from KJ Keats who says, no shot ECU finishes top three in the conference. Mm, interesting notes there or interesting comment there. We'll have to come back to your notes as we look at the American later. Uh, Chuck wants to know how did Ezra Osar Osar look. We always so we've been calling him Osar. I, I asked Ezra when we had him on the show in the spring. He said uh, he said uh, it's Osar. So Ezra Osar. How did Ezra look in your opinion? I mean, he didn't look the best, but also he didn't really. He I didn't, didn't really, think he really. He didn't get the ball. Yeah, I mean, like they didn't. To me, R.J. and Ezra, and maybe this was by design. They didn't really like even try to score, yeah. which is not how it's going to be in the regular yeah. season. So maybe they're trying to work on other things. Yeah, and 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 I'll say in, in scrimmages like this, uh, Schwartz and the staff they already have it. They they kind of know what they got. They know what Ezra them, and so RJ. I, I mean, they don't need to go out there and prove and score twenty. And we so. did see Ezra shoot when I was there. I had to leave for the game. He shot one three. He missed it off the back iron. He didn't miss a free throw. Did he take any other jump shots that you saw? He did not take any other jump shots, no. Okay. So that's kind of the thing we're watching with Ezra. We know we know he can drive. We know he's going to get fouled. How is he going to be shooting the ball this year with the, the repaired shoulder? So we keep an eye on that. You know, R.J. looked like R.J. otherwise running around, doing his thing, rebounding the ball. Brandon Johnson was rebounding the ball like crazy, which is what he does. Uh, so And he had like a little fadeaway contested shot on yeah. the baseline. I thought yeah. Brandon looked good. Yeah, Brandon Brandon looked Brandon looked better to me. He was one of the best players out there, but also Brandon's just gonna do what Brandon does. He's he his improvement of his jump shot since he's been at ECU has been just incredible because he hit that fadeaway in the corner and I and I remember when he hit it I was like, What? Where yeah, that, that was a shot we didn't see a lot last yeah, year. Yeah, we not see that shot and then but also just like you said with Ezra, if Ezra can get that jump shot in, he'll be much better. And I remember when he shot it I was like, Oh, well, there's the first one. Right. So I'm looking to see if he continues that this year. Yeah, I mean, pull the trigger early on. You should have some some you know space to work with maybe on the scoreboard with some of the non-conference opponents. So uh, we'll see how, how things go there moving forward. Uh, we saw Sierra Malonga, the freshman. He came in off the, be- the, off the bench to play for Purple as well. We saw Sierra at the five, Ezra at the four, and BJ, Brandon Johnson at the three. That's kind of the same lineup we saw in the conference tournament last year with Luigi DeBo at the five. And so to me, Sear, younger, you know, has to mature, but that three, four, five combination, I think would be very tough to score against. How much do you think we'll see that? Um, I think it depends on matchups. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think that versus a team like Florida Atlantic with big, with big guards and they also have that big seven footer. I think with a team like that, you'll, you'll see it. But I think that early in the non-conference, you're not going to see that lineup much. But I also think you also could because it is non-conference. So let's, so let's kind of get Callum and his feet a little right. wet. So, I mean, they both they both look like freshmen out, out there, but that's as expected. And same with uh, Takori. He looked he looked he looked a little timid. He looked a little like what's the word like? I said I, I wrote in my report. I thought he looked unsure. Of yes, himself. yes, he looked unsure of himself. He was very cautious. I think he was trying to make sure he didn't mess up. That's exactly what it looked like. And for a guy like that whose game is mostly built off athleticism, when you're out there thinking, you know, you can't look – obviously, if you're unsure of yourself, you're not going to look as good as you are. But, you know, freshmen, that's the thing. It's not just showing up and just, hey, here's the ball, go score. They do so much. I mean, so many things defensively, especially under this staff, under this regime – if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get pulled in a heartbeat. We saw it last year with Coach Schwartz. I think it'll be even more of an emphasis with Coach Adams in the fold. So 
look, I think Takori's going to be a great player in time. Uh, same with Sear and Callum, but those guys, you know, they, they got to learn. And the good thing is ECU right now can afford to let them learn and let them develop. Uh, John Moody says, are the secret scrimmages still a thing? If so, any insight on who we might may play? The secret scrimmages are still a thing, John. I don't know at this point who ECU is scrimmaging. Last year they scrimmaged a couple of teams, and so I know they'll do the same this year. It's just a matter of whether or not we find out. Under Dooley, it was always NC State. Because uh, of his relationship with Kevin Keats, yes, but that I, is no more. I, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Uh, NC State not wanting to come to Greenville right now, isn't that right, KJ? <laughs> KJ Keats tuned in. All right, let's get a let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will. Uh, we've got some NC State uh, basketball players joining the chat, which is hey, this is good, man. Uh, we've got a lot of viewership here for this interview with Casey Romayli. We'll come back. We'll talk about the American ECU pick to finish preseason. Number, what is it, number five? Five, yeah. Number number five in the preseason. The women picked to finish second. We'll talk about that, where ECU stacks up in the American, maybe get some more scrimmage thoughts, answer your questions as well. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Arr, back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Okay, welcome back into the program on this Monday, October 16th edition of the show. We talked some football with former ECU corner Kevin Monroe earlier today. Now we're talking pirate hoops with hoist the colors basketball analyst Kaysen Romaley. Kaysen's got some childhood friends that uh, also play for the NC State basketball team and they're hopping in the chat. And so, uh, first off, i got to point out, East Carolina, 1-0 against NC State in uh, NC State's last trip to Greenville, which I believe came in 2008. NC State has not returned since. Uh, that was a raucous atmosphere. Uh, NC State is coming off a very good season, 23-11, and made it to the NCAA tournament. What are your thoughts on the Wolfpack this year as we uh, have some Wolfpack players watching you right now? Well, I think a major emphasis on this team is how far can Casey Morsell take this <laughs> NC State basketball team? They're going to be on his back. So how Casey Morsell goes, the team goes. That's so, that's all I have to say about that. No team. pressure? No pressure on Casey Morsell. It's Good. just how – it's just it's, a, it's just if Casey wants to wake up and be great, NC State will be great. Casey said, or uh, yeah, Casey says we need Cam Hayes. Uh, I guess he's speaking of ECU needs Cam Hayes yes, as ECU. we're still waiting the yes. the ruling of his waiver. And uh, Cam Hayes, of course, used to play at NC State uh, as well. And uh, Chase says let's not talk about uh, secret scrimmages. Yeah, those aren't a thing, right? They're no, just, I've never heard of secret scrimmages. I've never heard of them. It's, it's the worst kept secret in college basketball. All right, let's talk about the American and ECU pick to finish uh, fifth in the league. What did you think? We look, we did breakdowns, and you did a lot of in depth research on kind of where these teams stood in the offseason, and, and we did it on the podcast. And basically, our consensus was, case in that. It's FAU and Memphis, and then kind of like a jumble of maybe like five, six teams, and then to kind of the bottom of the league. We thought ECU would be in that middle, and that's exactly where, where they were picked. So what did you kind of make of the preseason poll? I thought the preseason poll was a little shocking, not for ECUs, but I, but like a team like Rice, I think I'm very high on, which I think they're going to be better. But I also think that, just like you said, it's FAU-Memphis drop-off and then Tulane. And then I will go like a little slight drop off. And then you got teams like North Texas, ECU, Rice, and teams like that there. But I mean, 
I would say three, four, and five are up are are up for the taking. I would say right. two lanes kind of reaching for that for that three right now. But and but there's two favorites, and let's be honest, that's how it has been in the American the past couple of years with Houston or when Cincinnati was good, but it's mainly been Houston at the top, and I think that's going to be the same with FA, FAU this year. Yeah, I think uh, I think. FAU, preseason number 10, by the way, the ESPN preseason poll, or the AP Top 25 came out. I'm losing it in this comment section. i got to take it off the screen for a second uh, on YouTube. Um, FAU, preseason number 10, coming off the Final Four appearance. They basically have their whole starting lineup back. ECU gets to open at FAU in Boca Raton. So a tough, tough matchup there. Um do you feel like FAU should be higher in the preseason poll, or is 10 fair, and should Memphis be in the preseason top 25, which they are not? I think that Memphis is a better team than FAU coming into this year. I think FAU is a good team. Don't get me wrong. Talent-wise, Memphis probably has more talent. I think Memphis has more talent, yes. And also speaking of, yes. Yeah. And also speaking of polls, the AP poll just came out, and FAU is number 10, and Memphis is not ranked at the moment, which I am not shocked because they literally have – I think they returned one one scholarship guy, so they have twelve new scholarship guys. So I mean, no one really knows that they have, but they got they got Caleb Mills, they got Javon Quinterly, and they got a couple other big time transfers. But it's going to be FAU, Memphis, and then the rest. Do we know if uh, what's the dude who's applying for like an eighth year of eligibility? DeAndre, DeAndre Williams. He they actually sent in sent in his second waiver. Or oh my gosh! Last. Thursday, I think, because I sent it to you and was like, look at this. If He's, DeAndre Williams gets an extra year and they don't grant Cam Hayes immediate eligibility. Yes, DeAndre Williams will be 28, I think, next spring. So, playing college basketball. I mean, we see Tez Walker scoring three touchdowns for UNC football. Like, Cam Hayes... Got to make him eligible. I mean, he's back in his home state. What are we doing in NCAA? Let's do it. Um, we talked about it. I do think Tulane being third is fair. I mean, I know they lost Cook back to LSU, speaking of portal. But returning Cross and uh, the guard Forbes, I mean, they're they're going to be able to score. Yes. It's just with them, like they every game is eighty eight, eighty five. They don't play any defense. So, what, what does the ECU have to do this year, Casey, to take that next step to realistically like become the third or fourth best team in this league? Because you look at Ken Palm, you look at you know uh, Torvik. Right now, they have analytically they have ECU behind. Tulane, UAB, North Texas, and even SMU. So they're not as high on ECU on you know according to the analytics and what's returning to some of these other teams. What do you think ECU has to do to get into that really upper echelon of the league? I think they're going to have to play good, sound defense. I think that's why they brought in Mark Mark Adams to play to play good defense because I mean it's been seen that we're not going to be able to outscore teams. It's just all there's to it. I mean we don't have the scoring power, we don't have the shooting, so we're just going to have to just play great defense and be able to not give up 70. And I think that if this team cannot give up 70 a game, they can definitely get to that spot. I think, too, we're, you know, last year we heard so much about defense, but I felt like ECU did not really commit to, like I'm sure they practiced it, but like commit to their best defensive lineup until the very end of the year when we talked about it with Luigi being the five. And I don't think Brandon Johnson is the perfect three but I feel like when you truly commit to it, and if you go Sear at the five, and you go Ezra and Brandon, that's probably your best defensive and rebounding lineup. It's just, can you get enough scoring production with that? You know, that, maybe that's what the coaching staff is asking themselves. And and that's the thing when you go through all these lineup combinations, which I think 
I honestly think opening the opening lineup will be Bobby, RJ, Quinn, Brandon, and Ezra. Yeah. And Bobby, he's Bobby, he's he's probably not going to give you ten points ten points a game. RJ hopefully will give you fifteen points a game. Quinn, that is the biggest question mark of them all. Right. He could drop twenty or three. And then and then I think Brandon could I think Brandon can can give you fifteen to twenty a night, and then Ezra he's he's another question mark. Yes, he's a great player, but there but there were games last year where you would watch him play, and I mean he would have three points one game, and the next game he would blow up for he he would blow up for twenty. So it's just a matter of where the scoring is, and I honestly think that just and just like I've said, like if you insert a player like Cam Hayes who is scoring, who can score, I mean if you put Cam Hayes at the two and put RJ at the three, there's easy 12 points if not more right and hopefully cam is eligible to to be able to do that uh chuck wants to know what is Kaysen's predicted number of wins so we actually did that when the schedule came out didn't we go through and make our predictions what was yes. it 20 i put i put it at 21 and 10 21 and 10 i think we both had 21 and 10 so i'll put it at 21 and a half 21 and a half and oh, i mean wonder. if you're go if you're in vegas history tells you to take the under but i I think if this team comes out in the non-conference, you know, with three losses or less, they can hit that number. It's yes. just, are they going to be able to win all the games early on? They should win. Are they going to be able to go to George Mason and win? Are they going to be able to beat South Carolina, UNCW at home? You know, how do they play against Florida and Florida? So a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting non-conference games. Uh, KJ Keats says USF is the dark, dark horse. Uh, Casey also says we're sleeping on USF. Are we sleeping on USF? I'm dead asleep on South Florida. Dead asleep on South Florida. I'm dead asleep on South Florida. I like I'm not their coach. At least they're, they got rid of Brian Gregory. They, they get rid of Brian Gregory and they hire the Kennesaw State head coach. And after one good season, so I mean we're gonna have to see. Even though even though he did bring he did bring most of he did bring the two star players of that team to USF. So I mean they're they're both going to be great players there. And but they're not better than ECU. Always do it. Yeah, I mean. Kennesaw and the league they play in making that jump to the American. Obviously, those players are good players, but it's a different league, too, so we'll see how they do over the course of a full league. But we'll see. I know that you're not huge on the USF goals. No, I never uh, have been. You'll have to go against your guys there. All right, let's take our final break. We'll come back. We'll take any final questions uh, any players in the chat have that play for the NC State Wolfpack. And we'll also take any ECU fans' questions as well. KJ Keats says take the under on ECU's 20 and a half wins. And uh, we'll come back. Chuck wants to know, does 20 wins get ECU into the NIT? We'll talk about that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, back into our final segment on this Monday. We're talking a lot of ECU basketball. And Casey Romaley, our ECU Hoist the Colors basketball insiders in studio. He knows a bunch of the NC State basketball players who are in the chat. Uh, I heard that Ezra Saar played in the program and crushed it this summer, guys. So my question to you guys with the NC State program is, what do y'all think of Ezra? Any thoughts there? Drop them in the chat as we got a few minutes left. Case, uh, and we were also debating, Chuck wants to know, does 20 wins get ECU into the NIT? What do you think about that? I think 20 wins could, but just like I said to you at the break, is who are you beating for those 20 wins? And I think that if they beat, if you're in Memphis one time in the regular season and run through the non-conference, 
And in the AAC term, if you beat one of them, I think that I think you got a good shot. Right. If you have a few marquee wins and finish towards the top of the league, I think probably you're up there. NCAA at large, I think realistically going to be tough with the schedule unless you just dominate uh, like you like, like we kind of said a few weeks ago, you really got to run through the schedule and get the marquee wins, you know, beating either one of South Carolina and Florida, beating UNCW. Speaking of that, Chase Graham also know, can ECU match up with UNCW, which is coached by Takeo Siddle, former NC State assistant? Uh, well, first of all, I, I need to see what UNCW looks like. I have no clue how their offseason went, I honestly am I sure. I think they got pretty much a lot coming back. Yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. I, if if uh, what's his name White Tredavion oh, White, yeah. he was. I mean, he killed us. So I mean, if he's on the floor, I don't. It could be bad, but yeah. Know. Last year it was a it was a whitewashing, and really it was just one of those things where ECU got behind early, could never recover. They 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 didn't make a three until there was like a minute left in the game. Yeah, it and was UCLB made a lot of threes. It's also just ECU on the road, so yeah, ECU's got to overcome that road. Uh, Bugaboo, uh, Jordan Snell also wants to know what are Casey and Romaley's credentials to talk basketball. Do you have a, a response to that? I don't have a response to that. <laughs> so you just want to take it? I'm just going to take that one. Wow. I expected you to like come out with some hot fire there. No, because I don't want Jordan to get all emotional. <laughs> uh, we asked uh, the NC State guys about Ezra. Uh, Casey Morsell says they need to see a little more film. I've heard great things. KJ Keith says, I like Ezra. I'm a fan. And uh, yeah, I think Ezra, big freshman year, there were some reports he was getting pulled by Georgia and Georgia Tech maybe into the transfer portal, ended up staying at ECU for his sophomore year. We talked about it. I think he could be an all-conference guy. R.J. Felton made the all-conference preseason team. Were you surprised we didn't see Ezra or you know Brandon Johnson on that list? Yes, I think if we were going to see anyone on first or second, it was going to be Ezra or Brandon Johnson. I'm not taking nothing away from R.J. Felton. Right. He's, a, he's a good player, but... I definitely think that for this team, Ezra is more important than R.J. Felton. If Ezra can develop, even like we were talking about in the break, last year we talked about the inconsistency. I felt like if he faced the wrong matchup, like a 6'8 guy who's got length who can prevent him from scoring at the rim, he struggles to score a little bit. If he can develop that mid-range jumper, kind of like Jaden Gardner did, and obviously an outside jumper, I think that just widens his whole entire game. So for me, it's... If he can become a multi-dimensional player, I think is the key to really ascending to like all-conference status. Yes, and with the addition of Mark Adams, I think his defense will have a big uptake, which will be huge for him too. Well, we're looking forward to it. We're three weeks away from the non-conference opener, Ferrum College, and we'll see what type of challenge they present. We'll get a little closer. We'll see if we can find out any info on Ferrum, but we're almost there, man, three weeks. Looking forward to a football we need to get football on a running clock right now. Right. Football on a running clock. Basketball season will be here before we know it. Casey, we'll start getting you on pretty much weekly. We'll see if the NC State players can also join weekly as well. I hope they have practice during the shows. All right. He is Casey Romaley. Fun hour here. Thanks to Kevin Monroe as well. Thanks to Philip Pilkington for producing today's program. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. We'll go 930 for our stream. Do the Mike Houston press conference 12 noon on 94.3 The Game. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
Ray Fussell, fourth generation winemaker at Duple Winery in ECU Columbus. We've recently added two new fantastic